I'm Dr. Jay Anders, and this is Tell Me Where It Hurts, where we discuss some of the big challenges in health IT and how we can solve them so clinicians can do what they do best, care for patients. I'd like to welcome everyone to another episode of Tell Me Where It Hurts. Uh, today's guest has extensive experience in healthcare IT and EHR products, as well as doing things in accountable care. And it harkened back to one of my prior positions as CMIO of a EHR slash billing company, where we had extensive accountable care responsibilities, mostly on the West Coast, but basically both coasts. And what the problem we had when we were trying to manage those accountable care organizations, and this is in the last, oh, 15 years or so, still pretty young, is getting the data we needed to actually feedback to physicians to help them be accountable for the care that they were providing. And in those days, we had several installations with 50 to 60 nursing staff that were reviewing charts and doing that feedback to the physicians. And one of the things that was really troublesome, and I was that physician liaison between the accountable care organization and their practices, is the fact that we had to do that after the fact. And we had to feed back into them and say, oh, by the way, when you saw Mrs. Smith, you forgot to do her breast exam or you didn't address X. And that's part of what you have to do. So either you've got to contact her, you've got to close all of these care gaps. And I will tell you from personal experience, as well as experience in trying to oversight that with physicians, is no one in the physician realm wants to be contacted about something they missed or something that they need to do after they've already seen the patient. So in today's world, it's hopefully evolving. And today's guest has been a part of that evolution. Um, today's guest is Edwin Miller. Uh, he's the co-founder of two profitable startups, founding a CTO and chief product officer. He's in, been involved with Athena Clinicals, Practice Fusion, Care Cloud, Charts Plus, and about 25 other HIT projects. So has extensive experience in building these platforms by which uh, we're going to be using in the future, as well as trying to make them better. Um, he's a product strategist. He's been involved with lots of different things, and he loves to disrupt and be innovative in this particular realm. So welcome, Edwin. Um, glad to have you on our program. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. So you've had extensive experience, as I just said. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how you, your career has evolved and how you got involved with this and what passions kind of drove you forward? Yeah, it's a good question. I have, uh, so I've been doing this a long time because I'm old, so I will spare, uh, I'll try to make this brief. I started out, um, actually, I have a windy path. I, I started out as a music major in undergrad, so I, I, I'm actually not qualified to do any of this, but I uh, had a strong interest in software development at a, at a pretty early age. This is in the 80s. And um, and I came up as a developer and I worked on all kinds of different software products in different industries and wound up in a healthcare company that was doing billing and scheduling software back in the early 90s. So kind of got into it that way. and. And in the mid 90s, I got interested in EMRs and I started working with physicians more closely as opposed to doing billing systems and stuff like that. And I think that really 
lit me up, uh, you know, passion wise. And the, one of the first EHRs I worked on called DigiChart was an OBGYN specific EHR, which we did use um, Metacomp's tools at, in the, it's hard to believe that was around 2021 years ago. But uh, uh, that product, you know, spending time with OBGYNs in their offices and hearing, watching them treat patients, well, w- watching them manage what was going on with their patients, receiving lab results and having to give both good and bad news to patients. You realize every day what they're doing, how hard it is, um, how exhausting it is. And, and you just, it just pulled me into it. I just wanted to help. Like, how can, how can we make technology work for you in a better way? And, you know, at the time, you know, they were using paper charts and stuff like that. And so there's obviously an opportunity. So that, that's kind of how I got into the EMR space. And then I, I went on to build more EHRs and, um, and then other, other health IT products. And I've been, it, it, this industry is Hotel California. Once you, you can check in, but you're never going to check out. So that's my, you know, that's kind of how I've wound up here. Now I head up product at a company called Sitka, which is more focused on, uh, is focused on virtual referrals between uh, specialists in PCPs, and it, it makes more sense in the value-based world that we find ourselves in today. But none of that would be possible would be possible without the EHR work that had been done for the last twenty years. So, you're a product and technology person. Um, what are some of the challenges, the big challenges you had going from EMR to EMR and trying to improve them? Where are the gaps in technology that you were trying to address? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, look, it's easy to bash EHRs. I mean, everyone's good at it. Uh, there's so much to to love. Um, the uh, I, I think that a lot of challenges have been, you know, change management, you know, and, and dealing with, you know, making technology easy to use. I, I do remember for years, you know, doctors before um, meaningful use and things like that, when you had to have, when, when your EHR had to sell on a, on a raw ROI, it actually had to save time or they had to make more money with the EHR than without it. And that drove a lot of virtuous things in EHRs. And so doctors would have a gleam in their eye, you know, about, I remember when they would come up to our booth at, at HIMSS or something, and they would have a gleam in their eye about the potential of the EHR and how it could help them practice medicine better and things like that. And then, and then, you know, fast forward 10 years and that gleam was gone and it was more of a dead eye. Like I never want to see this again. And, and I think it's around, you know, it's around usability, it's around, you know, box checking and things that, that happen. And I, I don't know that, and a lot of those are EHR issues and some of them are, are external to the EHR, but basically we were substituting the paper chart for, you know, for an electronic version of the same thing. And, and that, that by itself is probably not enough to really propel us forward in healthcare. Do you see one of the issues being that the EMR really doesn't give anything back to the clinicians? That's one of the things I have noticed. It's become this task, and it's not a tool to really assist them in treating their patients. So it's really not giving them anything back. It's just requiring them to do a lot more without any reward. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a key struggle. I mean, I I used to say my EHRs are dumb, right? You You put data in, and it presents the data back to you. It's like, so not very helpful. Um, they're not smart, right? Or maybe they're getting smarter, but they're de- essentially data entry tools. And, this, and the, the industry has adapted around that with various hacks like scribes and voice recognition and things like that, basically around the you know, physician as data entry person. And all of that really came from what I call the original sin of healthcare, which was fee-for-service, right? And so the EHRs were, were built around the claims-based and counter-based model which we can get into, but 
you know, but that that led to just basically putting data in and substituting the paper chart, which again is not intelligent. It's not. It's not a. Um, it's just regurgitating what you put into it. It's not uh, anticipating what you need. It's not telling you things you didn't know. It's not, you know, being what I would call like a second brain. It's not help. It's not linking, like in a graph database, concepts together in a way that it could present it back to you in a way like your brain works. It's, it's uh, making your brain conform to the computer, and so that's a that's a challenge. Well, interestingly, I'm going to diverge just a little bit. Um, you mentioned voice recognition and other things you see out there. Uh, we're all familiar with what the hype is right now about that, um, like magic occurs. So what's your thoughts on that? I mean, we hear this, you hang a microphone in the room, you record everything, and all of a sudden you come up with data. What's your opinion on that? I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm a skeptic of that. I, I think, I mean, I don't think that folks should be typing a bunch of stuff. I think the whole premise of the EHR's data capture tool is, I don't know, it's, it's focusing on the wrong problem. It, it really should be about bringing, you know, bringing intelligence. You know, patients have a lot of data. Most of it did not originate in the site where they might be, be see, being seen at the moment. And, and so there's no, inter I mean, the interoperability is getting better, but the, but prior to a few years ago, that 360 view of the patient didn't exist, or it had to be recreated every time the patient was seen. So the physicians like, you know, redoing a history or, you know, recapturing everything about the patient, or maybe an MA does it ahead of time, and then the physician has to elaborate on it. I mean, there's no, there's no intelligence there. It's not even, it's like Dory, it just forgot everything that, you know, was put into it yesterday. So, um, I don't know. Like, I think the idea of trying to make that faster is certainly good. Like, you know, using using these voice recognition or some people use scribes if they can afford it. And, you know, that those all kind of solve that problem. But what problem are we really solving? And and what 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 is the how, how does the physician work at the quote the top of their license or being their best selves in terms of taking care of the patient that's in front of them and having the right information to, you know, to do that. And, you know, that's that's really the problem we should be focused on. And I think that that's where, you know, we were talking about ACOs and we'll get to that, but, you know, that's where value-based care leads us, I think, is to that more holistic view of the patient as opposed, opposed to the transactional encounter-based view that most EHRs are built around. Now, you've worked with several EMRs, as I described when I introduced you, um, and you brought in Medicomp as a solution to help address some of the things that you needed. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship and why that was important to you? Yeah, at the time, um, Medicom had some things in their tool set and, and, and still do. I don't want to, I mean, it, it, we're going back 20 years, so it, it, it was a different time. But there were one thing that um, was really important was how you manage the data on the back end of the EHR. And so some, some EHRs, including some I've worked on that I, when I came into them, were not smart about the data on the back end, so the informatics part of it, basically. And so uh, Medicom made that easy for a startup vendor to basically solve the problem of how do you codify the clinical data and then be able to go find out what's, what's systolic blood pressure. There's a code, there's, a, there's an ID for that, and so that we don't have to worry about you know, how to, how to understand that concept in the data. Um, the other thing that Medicomp had at the time was some UI tools that helped us build some of the more, I would say, commoditized parts of the EHR, the part that's not going to differentiate one EHR from another. And, um, and that, that sped time to market and development. 
and um, and also made our backend uh, data more robust and and able, then you could build derivative data sets on top of that that were more useful and that would lead to maybe a little more intelligence in the system. So I found it to be an accelerator. I used I used Metacombat three vendors and um, and I you know I was not paid to do so. I have no other relationship with the company other than the tools helped us go faster. One of the things that um, that has happened since data has started to become codified is to start to relate that back to the clinician at the point of care so they have the information they need when they're actually seeing patients, which, as we talked about a little bit before, having to call a physician and tell them they've got something to do that they missed or didn't do on a particular visit, especially in the accountable care world, is not the easiest or best conversation to have <laughs> with clinicians. So one of the things that uh, I see going forward, especially with interoperability and especially with getting enough clinical information at the point of care that actually assisting the clinicians, what's your opinion on that? I, if I understand the question right, I mean, there's a, I had a snarky, I used to have a snarky saying um, back in the day, you know, I, I would talk to physicians and they would say, like when I was talking to an OBGYN, they would say, and I'm not a doctor, but they would say like, you know, look, I, I don't need a system to tell me to do a group B strep at 38 weeks. That's the standard of care. At least it was at that time. And I know, I know, how, I know that what the problem is, I don't do it every time. It's more of a six Sigma problem. It's a, it's a, they need forward, not like Moderna, right? It's like they need, it's, it's a process control and that kind of thing. And so the system needs to set up a process control chassis that helps them not have to remember all those things, know what to do at the right time and that kind of thing. So if they don't miss it and then have to be reminded of it in, in maybe a less ideal way later, um, as you mentioned. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, it does. That's, that's, yeah, one of the things we've talked about before is having the EMR be a tool, not a task. And I think one of the problems we have in the global kind of rejection of healthcare IT and people always complaining about EMRs is it doesn't give anything back to the clinicians using them. I think we're now at a point where data being collected, good clinical data, and being interoperable with good clinical data will actually enhance the clinician's ability to treat their patients with better healthcare right. and better patient outcomes. Um, so what do you see the struggles in EMRs today? And where are we going to go with that? And how's the industry addressing those things in the coming years? Man, I hate to sound boring. It's the same old problem. It's still fee-for-service. Most, most EHRs are built out of billing systems and they're built around the, you know, producing a claim. And that keeps it episodic. It keeps it very myopic. And they tend to still be, I, I would say, relatively siloed within the facility that they're in or the clinic. And they maybe now can just start to bring in, you know, ADT data from, you know, so they can do start to manage transitions of care and stuff like that. But without an incentive to do so, who's going to do that? Um, and so I, I, I think that the the roots of all that are are, are there. I think that um, there are companies that are starting to emerge that are what I would call almost like headless EHRs, where you're building a platform. But you know, that's a whole different topic around like kind of a lot of companies now are having to build around, build their stack around these tools. But in terms of, you know, what, what we would think of as an EHR, this transactional and encounter base, I mean, that, that is the, the core issue. That's what's driving a lot of the frustration with it and sort of the, the myopic 
nature of the data that's presented. Well, we both worked in that that accountable care world. Um, what do you see as the main need for it? How do you see it uh, going forward? And how do ACOs fit into that larger healthcare IT system going yeah. forward? Yeah, I helped I helped co-found a company called Allidade, which was um, which today I think operates around ninety nine or hundred ACOs of which like 44 or so are taking two-sided risk, meaning they're, they're on the hook if they cost the system more money than, than, than if they hadn't been there. And I think that where they fit in that, well, there's some bets that are in that, embedded in that. One is that, I, I don't know if the, the larger health IT system, in order to do this work, you have to get beyond the, the episodic encounter base and your own data that's in your own silo. You have to pull in data from the 360 view of the patient. So how it changes health IT is that you need claims, you need 360 claims, you need ADT, you need other EHR data from, from every place the patient has been. And that's still a difficult task. And then you need to be able to normalize that data and pull it in and make use of it at the point of care. And you don't need dashboards, you need something that tells you, most doctors I would talk to would say, just tell me what to do. Who, which patients in in my flock are need to be paid attention to? It's probably not the patient who's sitting in front of me today. But all in the in the old world, you focused on the patient that was on your schedule, right? What you didn't know was the patients that were where terrible things were happening to them out in the care, out in the world, um, and you didn't have any way to surveil that and then recall them into the practice and and manage that and and you know manage quality. So I think that that it turns the whole thing upside down from what health IT has been doing, which is reactive as opposed to proactive, I guess. So that's very, that, I agree with that. That's very interesting too. And we're going to, we're seeing more, we're seeing different models of care being presented, such as telehealth and home care and everything else, which kind of begs the question, we've got to connect all those dots. Um, you've always stayed right on the, the, edge of technology in the industry been right out there. How do you see these new business models and payment shifts and as opportunities for the industry? What's what's interesting in emerging areas right now? Yeah, I, I think some the emergence of primary care probably comes to mind first. The in the uh, I feel like, you know, if you watch the movie Moneyball, I feel like the undervalued players in healthcare have been primary care. <laughs> and you know, they account for like 4% of medical spend, but they influence, you know, 80% of it. And, but they have, a, they traditionally have not had much incentive to capture the value they can create by, quote, doing the right thing. They want to do the right thing, but the system works against them in that. And so I think as that changes, um, the emergence of primary care and maybe the, the reduction of dependence on monopolistic large health systems, things like that, um, I think that's going to change, you know, that's where some of the business models are coming out. So, so what's coming out of that is different approaches. Well, and a lot of, if you look at the last, you know, year, there's been a lot of startups around virtual-based primary care, even focused on MA, you know, populations. And so elderly populations that are at home, meet them where they are. Um, you know, patina health, you know, is one, you know, incorporate the caregiver who is often neglected in healthcare with the, you know, the adult child of a Medicare patient, for example, into the, into the care process. So I think, you know, reimbursement kind of lags here. Another area that's going to have to change is, is the need for payers to kind of speed up their innovation cycles around this. And, um, 
if we were waiting for payers to figure out, you know, how to innovate things, it's going to move really slowly. So there's it's a joint effort between maybe the startup world and and payer innovation departments or modes and and that kind of thing. But I think um, and that's going to drive a diversification of tech as well. And it's going to be less about the monolithic, humongous EHR and more around the ecosystem that you had to build. At Allidade, we had to build one of the one of the early we didn't really call it this at the time, but we had to build the, the digital health stack around to get what we needed. And the EHR was necessary, but not sufficient to get where we needed to be. And we had to layer around the EHR all these other tools to do transition of care, to do quality management, to manage uh, you know chronic disease and, and stuff like that. So those, um, it, it, and it's, you know, it's, it becomes more of a best of breed thing um, over time. But I think that, that's where there's there's all kinds of you know pucks going to that that direction of where we're you know increasingly taking risk folks are increasingly taking two-sided risk and but but you know i, I kind of look at this like healthcare usually has takes a generation to change and if you know we're about 10 years into the value-based care journey if you if you don't count you know managed care in the 80s or something like that and, and so we're not that far along. When I talk to primary care practices who are very progressive and are taking risk and doing all that stuff, they're still 66% fee for service, their book of business. So they're not, you know, they, they get it and they're, they're moving there, but, the, but it's, it's a, it takes time. And so um, these new business models that are emerging are great, but, but they're gonna feel ahead of the market for a while longer, I think. When you talk to your primary care physicians, um, how much, of the talk is about the fact that their EMRs or whatever platform they're using or combination of platforms um, either interoperate or don't get the data to them when they need it, um, making their job a little harder because they don't have complete clinical pictures of their patients. They're having to scrap for that. Um, yeah. How much of your conversations along those lines? I probably can only speak to my allotted experience here, which was, you know, which was a lot. They're busy prior. They're seeing patients. You know, they're trying to manage their day to day. Um, they now they're starting to understand value based care and taking risk and the importance of having that data in front of them. But you know, uh, even a large you know primary care practice is not going to go off and build that stuff, right? So they're they're going to look to, you know, they're they're busy doing work, right? So I, I think that. You know, we had to be sort of somewhat, uh, I guess, paternalistic about it at Allidade, where it's like, look, we'll just, we're, we're setting up the problem for you, which is here, you're now in, the, in, a, in a bunch of risk contracts, you're in an ACO, um, and, and now we're going to bring the tools to help you do that. And, and that includes all of the tech to bring in ADT fees and then, to, and then a front end so that you can do transition care visits or drive patients into the practice if they're high risk of, you know, various things, tiering tiering patients, managing specialist relationships, managing, who, who should I send my patient to? Which ophthalmologist should they go to? And, um, and so all of that stuff has to be brought to bear. And it's, a uh, you know, when you're dealing with total cost of care, you're dealing with tools across all those different pillars of, you know, of, of the care spectrum. And the other thing that I hear a lot in the industry is that um, the business of quality measures, both ECQMs and others, are becoming more and more burdensome. And I'm very interested in your opinion on a couple of things. Number one, as telehealth, my opinion is as telehealth and the provision of care that is, is away from the traditional office is going to come under that scrutiny as well. 
So there's going to be probably quality measures starting to be developed for people who deliver just telemedicine or virtual primary care. Um, how do you think the industry needs to respond to that kind of uh, that kind of requirement? You mean uh, around telehealth and quality? Yeah, telehealth and quality. I, I think I think the uh, look, <laughs> we've been through a pandemic. We we've all become virtual in a lot of different ways, and I think you know. The, I think that's probably here to stay, you know, and there's a lot of, and this is what we do at Sitka, which is there's a lot of even specialist consults that can be managed virtually, even peer to peer between two doctors, not even, you know, in a, in a, a patient relationship, um, unless they have to put on hands on or do a test or a procedure. But it, it's, um, I, I think, uh, I don't know that the quality measures really are that different other than maybe around the patient experience or, or things like that. I'm saying this as a, as someone who probably is not an expert on quality measure design in particular, but I would think that, you know, the, you know, the traditional quality measures still hold true. I think it's maybe a matter of not relaxing them in the, you know, in a virtual world. So the data, I think, also becomes very important when you're collecting that in the virtual world as well. You're right. I believe that a televisit is very similar to an office visit. Um, just the fact you don't see the patient in person doesn't change a whole lot of quality. I just believe that there's going to be enough skepticism in the government as well as Medicare and other places that people aren't getting the care they need. And I, I just feel them trying to think about what can we do to assure that quality healthcare is being delivered in a virtual or telehealth mode as opposed to the regular traditional in-office mode. So I just, I have that, that little gut feeling that they're starting to really start to look at that. Well, we're coming kind of down to the end of our time here. I'm going to ask you the question that I ask all of my guests. If you had a magic wand and could wave it and change anything in healthcare IT, what would it be? I mean, I think it's continuing to drive interoperability across systems, you know, like, like similar to, you know, what's happening with fire and the continued adoption of that across systems, making the data more usable. It would be nice if we, if it wasn't so hard to identify patients. So maybe a uh, patient identifier would be helpful. You know, that's interesting. You're not the only guest that has said that exact same thing. A universal patient identifier would sure be nice. So we know that Jay Anders is Jay Anders and Edwin Miller is Edwin Miller. Right. We don't have to worry about confusing them with other folks. I thought Edwin Miller was not a common name until I uh, th three other people have used my email address with the same name in different parts of the world. So, yeah. Yeah, I found a, several Jay Anders, even in the medical field, too. So <laughs> it's it's yeah. very interesting. So I'd like to thank you for being a part of our podcast today. Um, if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about what you do or talk about things, how would they do that? Um, I'm Edwin at trustsitka.com. Sitka is S-I-T-K-A, it's like the city in Alaska. And so, yeah, happy to talk to anyone. You can also find me on LinkedIn if, if you can find me through the other Edwin Millers. Um, <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you. Great to be here. Great questions. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to Tell Me Where It Hurts. Tune in to Healthcare Now Radio and Podcast Network each month for the latest episode. To learn more about Medicomp Systems, visit our website at www.medicomp.com. You can also follow us on Twitter 
at MedicompSys or myself at MedicompDoc. Or check out the show notes for links. See you next time.